change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to a very special edition of Podski Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, it's it's finally here, man. We we said it at the beginning of the week on our, our first show. The first time I think we've ever done two shows in one week, except for the whole Art Bryles mess a couple of years ago, where we did that one show just on him for about a half hour, and then we did a regular show. But we said we'd do a second show to cover the Grey Cup and all the things that have happened uh, since you and I last sat down. There's been a lot. CFL awards were handed out on Thursday night. You've been in Calgary. You've been on another podcast. You've fulfilled an obligation that you made to me. You've been wearing a Kevin Glenn. Like, there's so much stuff to talk about. So why don't we kick it off by talking about what you've done in Calgary so far? When did you get there? And and sort of like all the things you've done since you've been there. Well, my voice is a little bit crackly, and that started last night. Um, I didn't expect it to happen so soon, but hopefully we can get through this podcast all right without. <clears throat> being too annoying but yes i got into uh, you, mean, you mean more annoying than we normally are yes yes indeed <laughs> i got into calgary around 1 30 showed up at um brooker's bar and crab shack i believe it was called for the two and out live event which was um it was an honor to be on there uh to be on stage it was a little nerve-wracking you know talking in front of all those people um but it, but it was a lot of fun and I was, i'm glad i was there i also have shaved my legs because I made a bet with you and a bet it is a bet, but uh, other people have seen it and I will send you a pic. I know you want to, you want to see it. You want the proof. You gotta be out there. Like we, we do this show for the masses. We made the bet on this show for the masses. The masses need to see those freshly shorn legs of yours, Mike. Uh, I do want to say though, I watched the live stream, the, the guys at two and out, Trav and Ty, they were gracious enough to live stream the show. I got a chance to watch it. I thought you did a tremendous job. I thought Thank that you sir. represented the show very well, like you always do when you go out there and do these guest appearances on podcasts. I thought you made some excellent points, and I just thought you you did a, a wonderful job. I was a little bit jealous that I couldn't have been in your shoes because I would have been uh, I would have been in my element standing up there talking about how great the Thai Cats are. But uh, I thought you did a wonderful job and represented the show very very well. So thank you for that. Oh, thanks for the compliment. I appreciate that. I, I heard some kind words from some people, and I really appreciate that because, you know, I'm no professional or whatever, and I'm just a guy. So me to get up there and talk on stage and for people to listen, it's uh, it's pretty wild to me. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a great time, and uh, thanks again to Tune Out. So anything else fun you've done? What's the, uh, You know what? Let's not bury the lead here anymore. The Wandering Glens? What the hell is this? So this is a uh, CFPN um, idea, the Canadian Football Podcast Network. 
um, all of our great podcasts, some of us got together, and uh, I believe it was Ryan Ballantyne who uh, hooked up the jerseys. I think the CFO hooked up hooked us all up with jerseys, Kevin Glenn jerseys. We got the wigs, and uh, we were all walking around the festival. A lot of people were pretty excited about the whole idea, so that was a lot of fun as well. It has kind of taken social media by storm. I'm seeing, I'm seeing the tweets everywhere. Uh, Kevin Glenn has gotten in on the fun, and uh, I hear there's there's the possibility of maybe meeting up with him sometime and the group of you getting together with KG and doing a whole whole like picture opportunity with that, which would be. I mean that that's what that's what this is for, right? Like that's that's what everyone wants out of this, isn't it? Yeah, that would be tremendous uh, to get the man himself in a picture with all the wandering glens. Yeah, it's not, it looks like you're having a real fun time out there. Any other stories you want to regale us uh, before we start getting into some uh, CFL stuff? I went to the Spirit of Edmonton last night, and uh, it was a good time. I, I saw a lot of people there that I wanted to see, but um, it's expensive now, man. Like I I remember beers being like five bucks at these things. Now they're eight seventy five for one, and you only have the option of buying one, three, or five tickets um and then i if you want to go if you want to leave the the room or whatever even if you paid to get in already you have to wait in the back of the line and it's like 50 minutes to get back in so a little disappointing this year from the spirit of edmonton in my opinion but uh you know i i guess they they gotta start making more money but 875 a beer seems uh, pretty ludicrous yeah i remember last year going to that i think we went to that didn't we on the thursday night yeah, yeah, that's where the one where they hoarded us in uh, in yeah, the one room. Yeah, they, they had like the yeah. yes, that's right. They had like the weird like waiting area, and then yeah. as people were leaving, they let people go upstairs to the to the main area. I remember it being like kind of like herding cattle in that one too, where there was just like it was a long line to get in, and I understand it's very popular, but it seems to me like I don't know, find the biggest possible room so you don't have people right. doing this. And yeah. and I, you're not the first person I've heard, not necessarily this week, but over like with my great cup experience last year, kind of lament how the spirit of Edmonton has kind of diminished in its sort of luster a little bit. And some of the other parts, like I remember we went to the Atlantic schooners party, which was like, that was in that giant like banquet hall. And it felt like you could walk, like it just, it feels weird that this one is so, I mean, maybe because just cause it's so popular. I don't, I don't know, but it just, it, again, I've been to one great cup festival and that was my experience last year. And obviously you can go back in the archives and hear us talk about what we did last year, but yeah, I, I, I'm like, I'm not surprised to hear this, but still in a way, a little disappointed. Right. Yeah. And the thing was, it wasn't, it wasn't packed. Like it was like half full. So I don't see why you could just go in and out as you please, if you already paid obviously, but, uh, but, you know, it's all good. Um, I'm still going to enjoy my time at Grey Cup. And now we can move on and uh, start talking about some awards and start, start talking about this game. Well, first things first, what are your plans for the rest of the festival? What, what other parties are you hitting? Just because people might want to meet up with the, oh, the world-famous Mike Ticats. Right, right. Um, well, I will be going to that. There's a Eastern Team Social Hall. Yeah. It's all the Eastern teams that are together that have one party now. So all the parties are, are together in uh, one like conference center type deals, which is which is really cool. I like that. So I'll probably hit up that at some point. I, I probably want to go to the uh, the maritime party. I always end up going there at least once uh, Grey Cup weekend. So I'll probably be there. Um, and we'll see about the spirit. Uh, 
uh, you know, it's the popular place to be, and it'll probably be busier tonight than it was last night. So uh, I'll see what happens with that one. Any other Glenning for you this weekend? Possibly, possibly. Um, they're at the uh, State of the League right now, and I said I'd do the podcast with you, so I'm in my hotel room doing this, obviously, and I'm I'm glad to be here. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably hook up with those guys uh, maybe later tonight or, or tomorrow, I'm sure. What is it, at Wandering Glens on Twitter and at CFL Wandering Glens on Instagram if you want to see oh. some pics, so... I mean, yes, it's, yeah. it, it just sounds like you're having a great time. Wish I could be there with you, buddy. But there's always next year in Regina. And, of course, let's not forget 2021 here in the Hammer. You know I'll be yes, ready to ready to ball out that year. And I must see – I must. I will be at the um, CFL fight, Fights Cancer event as well. So oh, that, that, that was, that that was, was a blast of, last year. Yeah, that was a lot of fun last year. It might have been my most favorite event. And I know you enjoyed it uh, very much as well. So I think the Vanya Cup might be on. I'm not sure. But either way, I'll be there. I'm getting some secondhand jealousy hearing you talk about going to all these events and it reminded me of all the fun we had last year. So, uh, man, I, I guess I got to get to Regina next year, don't I? It looks that way. <laughs> if you can find a hotel room. I, I may have already stumbled upon some or accommodations. Or or whatever. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, enough talking about ourselves and all the fun you're having and all the jealousy I have. Let's talk about the CFL Awards, which were last night. We're recording this on Friday afternoon. CFL Awards were Thursday night. Ticats cleaned up, man. Seven awards in total. Uh, the, the Seven big awards in total. Ticats took home four of the five that they were nominated for. Where, where would you like to start? Do we start at the top with the big guy? Yeah, let's do that. The MOP. Let's, MOP. Let's there, was, there was no doubt in my mind. I don't think there was any doubt in yours. Speedy B, Brandon Banks, is the 2019 CFL Most Outstanding Player, the first Ticat to win Most Outstanding Player since Danny McManus did it way back in 1999. Also, coincidentally, the last time the Ticats won the Grey Cup. Maybe there's some good karma there. Uh, afterwards, found out 41 of the 50 voters selected Banks as the MOP, a landslide. To be honest with you, I think it should have been unanimous, but that's neither here nor there. Just uh, what, what a top for a guy who a few years ago was considered just a returner and now he's the league's best player. It's uh, it's really fun to sort of see his evolution and I'll bring it up. Like I have in the past few weeks, it was a couple of years ago where we were having the conversation, whether Brandon Banks should even be on this football team anymore. And now he's at the top of the mountain individual award wise, just, just, just tremendous. Yeah. It's, it's a great story and you love to see, you know, the players get, um, you know, recognized for the accomplishments. And I tweeted out something last night, awards don't matter, just win the Grey Cup. And I, I kind of regret doing that because they do matter. They they matter to the individual player. And I know that uh, they want the Grey Cup more, but at the end of the day, you know, an award's an award. And it was, uh, I'm super happy for all the Ticats that won them. Yeah. Uh, the other, Orlando Steinhauer, coach of the year. Should have also should have been unanimous as far as I'm concerned. And I said this on Twitter and I'll say it on here. The 12 people that voted for Craig Dickinson as coach of the year should have their votes taken away from them because that is absolutely ridiculous. I did think Steinhauer's speech went a little bit long. It, I don't know if you watched the awards. You probably didn't. You're probably out having fun. I watched the live stream of it on, on CFL.ca. His award speech, it was nice. He thanked a lot of people from the players to the front office staff to like the behind the scenes people. It was, it was very nice. But it did go a little bit long. But the cool thing about Steinhauer, 
he made it mandatory for the entire team to show up for the awards. And I thought that that was really cool. You, you could see some behind the scenes footage of when Brandon Banks was named MOP and they got a camera on, on where the Ticats team was sitting and they all just exploded. And I don't know. I think that's a really good bonding thing. I think it shows just how close these guys are as a team, but Orlando Steinhardt winning coach of the year to me was him and Brandon Banks. Those were two slam dunks as far as I was concerned. Yeah, for sure. That, you know, Steinhauer has done a fabulous job this year, as we all know. And, um, you know, Dickinson is, is a good coach and he surprised me. I thought it'd be a tough transition from special teams coordinator to head coach, but he did a great job, but, uh, Steinhauer deserved the award for sure. Another guy that deserved his award was the guy that finally, after a very storied career, finally gets his name on the most outstanding offensive lineman award. That is Hamilton Tiger Cat, Chris Van Zyl. Uh, let's just say thanks Toronto for cutting him on the Evo's training camp. It's it's it was yeah, very no. nice of you to give yeah. us such a great player. Uh, yeah, it's tough to sort of like judging. We we've talked about this before. Judging offensive line play is very difficult. Sometimes these awards are given to guys as sort of a lifetime achievement award, especially for a guy like Van Zyl, who incredibly had never won this before, yet has been one of the best right tackles in the Canadian Football League for over a decade. Just a, a well deserved honor for a guy who is. You know, he's the the leading right tackle on the best offensive line in the in the entire Canadian Football League. So kudos to him and, and very much deserved. Yes, uh, very many thanks to the Argonauts for giving us a couple really good players. You know, uh, they gave up on Tuggle, they gave up on Addison, they they gave up on Chris Van Zyl, and Chris Van Zyl didn't bring back Dylan Wynn. Yeah, they didn't bring. Yeah, exactly. There's another great player that we have because of them. Um, but yeah, Chris Van Zyl, you know, he's been doing it for years. He's been at, you know, one of the best for many, many years. And maybe it is a bit of a lifetime achievement award type deal, but uh, he still did a tremendous job this year. The one that I didn't think the Ticats would win was Frankie Williams for most outstanding special teams player. I thought was sort of the, the tail off in his explosive highlight reel plays in the second half of the season. I thought this might go to Mike Miller. I would, I, one day I would like to see a coverage guy actually get this award because I think that they kind of go underappreciated, but I'm not going to take anything away from what Frankie Williams meant to the Hamilton Tiger Cats this year. A couple of return touchdowns. He gave them quality field position. I think the Tiger Cats finished either first or second in the league in starting field position. That wouldn't have been possible without Frankie Williams doing what he did. Uh, he might not have taken one to the house anytime recently, but he's provided this team with some excellent starting field position, which has allowed them to score points and allowed them to get to 15 wins. So by me saying, I thought, I think I would have picked Mike Miller. That is not in any way meant to take anything away from Frankie Williams and the tremendous season he had as the Ticats primary return man. Yeah, absolutely. He's been, I can't really say anything more. You said it all, but he, he's done a great job returning the, the punts and the kicks, and he's done a great job in the secondary as well. So that's it for Ticats winners. There was, unfortunately, one player who came out on the losing end. And while I think this was wrong in, in really looking and digging deep into the stats, it's not surprising. Willie Jefferson beat out our Simone Lawrence for most outstanding defensive player. I'm not trying to take anything away from Willie Jefferson, second in the league in sacks, or third in the league in sacks, I think. All those pass knockdowns, he's a disruptive player, he's he's an, an awesome defensive lineman. But he's affected maybe 65, 70 plays this season with his with his numbers. Simone Lawrence has been on well over 100, just like he was almost over 100 on tackles alone. 
And I just feel like the only reason, and and, and until I'm proven wrong, I'll, I'll believe this. The only reason he wasn't awarded most outstanding defensive player was because of the hit in week one on Zach Caleros. I think you take away that, even if you even if you get suspended two games for something else, another hit or or what whatever it may be, I still think he he's in the running for this and he he probably wins it. But I think a lot of people look at that hit, look at the fines that he's accrued this season with a couple of more questionable hits and and held that against him despite the fact that he may have had his best season as a as a football player this year. Again, not taking anything away from Willie Jefferson, but I don't know. I I think Simone Lawrence deserved this one. Yeah, I think he did too, and I think that might be a factor what you mentioned, um, and also might have been a factor that you know, Ty Cats were winning everything else. Of, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, but that might might have had something to do with it. But I think Simone definitely deserved that award this season. He's been uh, he's been the leader on defense for the Ty Cats, uh, 15 and three teams. So. Yeah, well, you know, hats off to Willie Jefferson because he's a hell of a player, but Simone should have had it. Most outstanding Canadian was another one that I thought should have gone the other way. Enoch Mwamba from the Montreal Alouettes won it. Not that he's, again, no one who's up for these awards is undeserving. I don't want make, to make it sound like that. I just thought Cam Judge had a bigger impact on the game in, in more ways than Mwamba. Mwamba's obviously the leader of a defense that, that really took a turn this year for an Alouettes team that obviously overachieved based on expectations this year. But Cam Judge kind of became like the one of the top linebackers in the CFL this year. And it would have been, I think it would have been fitting to see him sort of rewarded for that. Like you can't really quibble about either of these guys winning, but uh, I don't know. And if it was up to me, I think I would have very slightly given it to Judge. But still, congratulations on Mwamba on, on a terrific season and a well-deserved most of Canadian award. Yeah, Mwamba's a, a great player. I also like Cam Judge. I think he's, he feels like kind of a throwback linebacker. Is it because um, he doesn't wear gloves? It might be that. Remember I didn't we even talked about this before? That? Guys who tape their fingers like, yeah. on defense that don't wear gloves. Or something. I was like, oh my God, they're going to kill somebody. I wonder if that's yeah. why we think – because I think the same thing. Yeah, yeah and it's just like he's just hard-nosed, you know, hard-hitting type guy. So uh, both of those players are great, and uh, maybe Cam will have a, a chance next year to uh, claim that award. So you made a deal – and you had to shave your legs, I made uh, a bet, and I owe someone a t-shirt because the Most Outstanding Rookie Award went to Calgary's Nate Hawley, and our friend Deb out there in Calgary before the season started picked him to win Most Outstanding Rookie, so I got to get her a shirt. She, we haven't hooked up yet to decide what she wants, but uh, and I can't decide if what – do you, what do you think, Mike? Do you think I should order the shirt and then present it to her in person at Grey Cup in Regina next year? Or should I just send it to her and let her get it as soon as she wants it? Oh, great! The next great cups—that that's a year away, Josh. Uh, I know it feels, no, it feels just, too. It feels too long. Yes, but you know, discuss it with her uh, and see what she wants. Uh, I'm sure she might want it in the mail before next great cup, so she can wear it around. Uh, her city and uh, represent the Podski. <laughs> Maybe, but kudos to her for nailing that pick because, like we said at the beginning of the year, we didn't pick a most outstanding rookie in our preview show because it's so hard to do. So, out of all the rookies in the, in the CFL this year, she nailed that pick, and so so kudos to who and kudos for Nate Holly. I really thought Jake Weineke with his nine touchdowns this year was going to take home the award, but it's nice to sort of see the voters kind of reward a, a Canadian kid who uh, who contributes both on special teams and on defense and maybe doesn't have the otherworldly stats of a guy who's who's scoring touchdowns every other week. But 
still still managed to make an impact on the game. It's it's times like these where you uh, you, you do have a little bit of faith in the people who vote for these things. Yeah, it would have been pretty easy to vote for Weineke with, with you know the the sexy stats of a of a receiver. But uh, yeah, good on them. All right, Mike, it's finally here. The awards are out of the way. It's Grey Cup 107. It's this Sunday in Calgary. It's the Hamilton Tiger Cats, our Hamilton Tiger Cats, taking on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This is the first time you and I have ever been able to sit down and do a Grey Cup preview episode with our team in it. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm pretty giddy right now, Mike. The storylines, I think, in this are, are kind of endless. you got two teams looking to end long Grey Cup droughts. Obviously, we know the Bombers haven't won since 1990, and we are intimately familiar with the Ticats having not won since 1999. You got the Zach Caleros revenge tour ending with the team that many, including I think you and I expected he would take to multiple great cups and win multiple great cups with, with the Ticats. Now he's starting for the bombers in this one. You got the whole Caleros Simone Lawrence situation. Now you have two award winners battling in the trenches with Chris Van Zyl going up against Willie Jefferson. And those are just a few of them before we head into this game. So I ask you this, Mike, is there one story one storyline that stands out to you as we sit here two days away from the big game that you that that's really kind of you want to sink your teeth into. Well, the, the the drought is the big one, right? I mean, these two teams haven't won for a long time. They haven't played each other in a Grey Cup for for a very long time. I'm not sure if you know that off the top of your head. The last time Hamilton four, I think. Right. I so think you were barely years. born. Yep. And you, you, were, you were barely born, and I was a year away from being born. So it's been a long time, a classic matchup. They've met in the 50s many times and in the 60s. So, yeah, I think the drought is the biggest one, but there are so many, right? Like Zach's a huge story as well. Um, Andrew Harris, you know, will he have a big game? I thought he's been kind of not so great in the uh, second half of the season after the suspension. So... But if I had to pick one, it would be the drought. Yeah, I think the renewal of what was, like you mentioned, the 50s and the 60s with these two teams battling. And like, I think it was something like six of 11 Grey Cups or five of 10. Some ludicrous number where these two teams met in the Grey Cup back in the 50s and 60s. I think that to me is the most interesting sort of this renewal of a, of a classic Grey Cup rivalry that we haven't seen. We haven't seen since 84 and, and haven't seen much of even before that. So I think that's kind of cool. I know that a lot of that has to do with Winnipeg being in the East when the CFL had only eight teams, when there was no Ottawa, there was no Montreal. So that obviously played a role in how often these two teams could match up in the Grey Cup. But I don't know. I think that that's kind of neat. The drought thing is obviously what we're all kind of latching onto. Fans of the Bombers are like, we got to get rid of this 1990. And fans of the Cats are like, we got to get rid of 99. But I don't know, man. Seeing seeing two teams, a classic Grey Cup matchup, I don't know. That that's it's it feels it feels CFL to me, you know what I mean? Yeah, it makes your nipples hard, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I was gonna say it makes the hair stand up on your legs, but you don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> True. I might I might get used to this. Uh, oh so good smooth. god, what have I done? So smooth, Josh. <laughs> oh no. Okay, so for this game, <laughs> I wanted to do something a little different for our preview. I thought it would be fun and kind of informative to kind of look how these two teams matched up um, instead of us doing like what we think is going to happen, all that sorts of stuff. I figured I got this incredible stats package from the CFL and figured, well, why don't we put this to good use? So uh, I first, I just want to say that I think we can kind of throw out the two games that these two teams played against each other this year. The Ticats won both of them. The first game took place in week seven. Ticats prevailed 23 to 15 in a win at Tim Hortons field. 
In that game, the Bombers started Matt Nichols, who obviously we know will not start in the Grey Cup. And that's also the game that we will all remember where Jeremiah Mazzoli got injured. So it feels like that was like way back in July. It's really hard to kind of use that as sort of any sort of barometer. You know what I mean? For, for this upcoming game. Uh, the second game, which was a 33-13 to thrashing by the Ticats at IG Field, saw Chris Trevler start a quarterback for the Bombers. Um, and again, obviously, he will not start a quarterback for the Bombers in this one. It must be it must be weird. I, I, I wonder if there's ever been a case where a team – where two teams have played three times in one year and it's been a different starting quarterback every time. I got to imagine that this is the first for a Grey Cup because you got to think that the team – if a team's starting three quarterbacks in a year, they're probably not getting to a Grey Cup most years, right? Uh, no, not most years, but this has been um, kind of a wild, interesting season in the CFL with all the starting quarterbacks going down. And yeah, you hate to see that, but, you know, uh, we see it now with like Dane Evans and, and the guys stepping up, like uh, Fajardo and, and Regina and um, yeah, Claro's coming back um, to get into the fold. It's, uh, yeah, you, you usually wouldn't see this happen. I mean, I thought at the beginning of the season it would be Matt Nichols leading the Bombers into the Grey Cup and obviously Jeremiah Mazzoli for the Tiger Cats. So you're right. You can't really look at these games earlier on in the season because the teams are just different now. Yeah, I think we can take a tad more from the second matchup. And I say that because that Ticats team is much more similar to the one we will see on Sunday than the one that we saw in July. Um, but with Chris Drevler in now, I guess, what you would call a secondary role, it's really hard to compare the Bombers' offense to the one that we will see on Sunday. Winnipeg is much more capable throwing the football with more success and consistency with Zach Caleros as they ever were with Chris Strevler. Uh, even if, in, in doing research for this, that Week 16 game saw Strevler throw for the most yards and the most pass attempts in any game he's ever had in his CFL career. Um, but I still think you look at that Ticats team, and with maybe the exception of, of Luke Tasker, you're, you're pretty much going to see the team that we'll see on the field on Sunday. So all that said, it still is tough for me to put too much stock into kind of what we saw in the regular season, just given how different, like you said, both these teams are from then to now. Yeah, absolutely. But the one thing I, I will say that you can consider from those two games is, you know, Andrew Harris was in there. Andrew Harris is their top weapon offensively. Um, we held them to held him to 18 carries for 90 yards in two games. The pretty much, you know, arguably the best running back in the CFL. So I think there may be some stats that you can't use, but I think you can apply that one. I, I totally agree, and, and that's kind of where I want to go with this. I want to look at my, – my idea here was to look at the Tiger Cats offense versus the Winnipeg defense, the Tiger Cats defense versus the Winnipeg offense, and then we'll talk about special teams. But you kind of kicked it off with talking about Andrew Harris, and I mean we'll get to that. I think we'll get to that in a sec. I think, I think I'd rather talk about the Tiger Cats O because, you know, offense sells tickets, right? And I mm -hmm. think this is you, – you kind of look at Hamilton here, and you look across the board – and offensively speaking, they were number one in points, number one in first downs, number one in offensive points, number one in net offense, number one in passing offense, number one in second down conversions, and number one in 30-plus yard passing plays with 31. This is the best offense in the CFL, and there's no real question about it. No, definitely not. And if you look, you know, it's number four in rush offense, and that's, you know, that's middle of the pack. Um, but we had many injuries at the running back position this year, and we were using receivers to run the ball. We we're all over the place with it. So to be number four is pretty impressive. I, I really agree with that. I think running the ball won't be easy. Uh, Winnipeg had the top 
tough, tough, pardon me, the top rush defense in the league. They allowed just 65 yards per game. And in the two games the Ticats played, you, you want to talk about Andrew Harris, like the Ticats weren't really that adept at running the football against the Bombers. I think they, let me look, 95 yards on the ground combined in those two games. So like whether it's Cam Marshall or Terrell Sutton, could be a little bit of a tough go for the Ticats to kind of establish a run game. But you look at the Ticats' ability to run the football and over the course of the season to finish as high as fourth in rushing yards, considering they went through, I believe it was five different starting tailbacks, is a feat unto itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had STE at the start of the season and they looked like, damn, we're going to have a, a really good running game. He went down and then we've had to you know, get some parts in and, you know, people have to step up and the people that have been handed the ball have done a great job this season, whether it's been Braylon Addison or Malik Irons or, or Cam Marshall or Terrell Sutton. But I think now we have it set up good. I mean, Terrell Sutton's starting, looks like he's going to be the starting running back. And I have all the confidence in the world that the offensive line will open up holes for him and we'll get some yards on the ground on Sunday. I think the big area where the Ticats have an edge in this was the last thing that I mentioned in all those number ones, and that's 30-plus yard pass plays. Winnipeg was ninth, dead last, as in worst in the league, in allowing 30-yard pass, 30-yard-plus pass plays this season. They gave up 32. Uh, the Bombers, clearly, by the numbers, are vulnerable to the big play, and the Ticats kind of excel at that, so... I look at that matchup, and I think if the Bombers can't stop the Ticats from finding what Delvin Bro likes to call splash plays, the MOP, Brandon Banks, and Braylon Addison, and maybe even the guy that you were calling for one big game in the playoffs, Mike Jones, if they if they can't kind of corral those guys, it's going to be a long day for the Bombers. Yeah, and we saw it last week uh, in the Eastern Final. You know, Dane doesn't have to throw 85 90% of his passes to be successful. If he can get you know, three or four of those splash plays, then, uh, you know, we have a chance to be pretty productive on, on offense. Now, do I expect him to have a low completion percentage? Definitely not. I think I think he'll have a great game and uh, he will be accurate. He's I think he's going to be throwing the ball a lot because it looks like it's going to be fairly warm for, you know, a game in Calgary in late November. So we will be able to toss the ball around. That is good to hear from the weatherman in Calgary himself, Mr. Mike Graham. If there's one area of concern for me in this game, and I believe you actually mentioned it on the 2 and Out Live show that you're on on Thursday, it's turnovers. Uh, The Bombers were second in the league in forcing turnovers. They forced 45 this year. And we all know that Dane Evans isn't exactly Aaron Rodgers when it comes to protecting the football. So this could be the area that the Bombers could maybe exploit. This could be... If there's one weakness to the Ticats offense, and I, I don't think running the ball is a weakness. I just think Hamilton's – I just think Winnipeg's run defense is so good that it will be hard to run on them. But this is something where the uh, when you got a guy out there like Winston Rose who led the league in interceptions, this could be an area of concern. The Ticats like to go deep, but with taking those shots deep, there's also some risk involved there. Last week we saw one of the beautiful, most beautiful touchdown passes we've ever seen from Evans to, to Speedy B. That was, you know, a couple of inches away from being a pick. You know what I mean? So if if those sort of things go against the Ticats, that could be kind of where Winnipeg sort of levels the playing field a little bit, speaking with the Ticats offense and their defense. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's the one concern. 
I think that I'm confident and I'm pretty sure you're confident in every other area. But um, if, if there's turnovers, there could be trouble. Uh, Dane um, has been known to throw a pick or two, but as we've talked about before, he's been improving as the season goes along, not just in interceptions, but in, in every way a quarterback can. Um, but yeah, we can't be turning over the ball or that we're going to, we're going to give the bombers a chance to win this thing. So security, don't fumble, don't throw a lot of interceptions and we'll be all right. So let's flip to the other side and talk about what the Ticats D is going to be expected to face against Winnipeg's offense. And we touched on it a a little bit here, but I, I don't think it's any sort of secret that the Winnipeg blue bombers are going to try to run the football. They have the league's leading rusher and Andrew Harris. They were the number one offense when it came to rushing the football and they also have the league's sixth leading rusher in, in Chris Drevler. But you mentioned it at the top there. The Ticats have been really good against Andrew Harris this year. And they were also have been really good against Chris Drevler. Uh, 18 rushes for 90 yards, like you said, for Harris in the two games against the Ticats this year. I know in the one game it was a bit of a blowout, so that takes Harris kind of out of the equation. But still, to average 45 yards a game, that's well below his per-game average this year. So the Ticats have done a really good job sort of corralling Harris, but they've also done a good job corralling Strevler, and he's found very little success on the ground in the two games he started against the Ticats, going back to the game he started last year. He had eight carries for 46 yards in the Week 16 loss this this year, and he was uh, five carries for 55 yards and one rushing touchdown last year when Winnipeg came to Hamilton and Strevler started and lost that game. So, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, I think, throughout the season about Hamilton's sort of middling rush defense, but... I we can't not mention that as the years gone on, it's it's gotten I think much better. They were sort of destroyed a little bit early on, most notably by William Powell and William Stanback. But by the end of the year, the Ticats finished third in the league against the run, allowing a very respectable 95 yards per game. So given that Strevler hasn't found much success, given that Harris hasn't found much success, and given that Hamilton's rush defense has gotten better as the season's gone on. It's an interesting matchup. If it's, it's one that if the Bombers win, they probably win the game. But it's not one that I'm overly concerned with because I feel like the Ticats have shown us enough this season that they can stop a, a strong rusher like Andrew Harris. Yeah, I think we got the the guys in the middle, obviously, you know, Big Teddy and Dylan Wynn and the the, the, the two guys on the outside, Hauser and Jagger Davis. The linebackers do a great job at stopping the run, so... I'm, I'm kind of worried that they're going to get all tricky on us because, you know, it is the Grey Cup. This is for all the marbles, and Chris Trebler is in there. Everybody thinks automatically they're going to run the ball. I think they're going to try something tricky with him. I think they're going to – he's going to lean forward like he's going to run the ball, and he's going to drop back and do that pass that he does. Um, I, they've shown that play a couple times this year, the Bombers have, and uh, – I'm sure that the Ticats defense is aware of it, and I'm sure they'll be prepared. But, you know, Mike O'Shea likes to uh, pull out the trick plays here and there. Um, Not so much this year, but in recent years, and you know he has it in his back pocket. So just a little bit concerned about some trickery. I mean, I think the Ticats are so sound in their schemes that I I agree. There's always the possibility of of throwing some some trickeration in there, as John Mm -hmm. Madden used to say. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I feel like the Bombers are going to tr- – for them to win this game, I think their best bet is to keep the Ticats offense off the field. And how do you do that? You do that by running the football. So they're going to try to pound the football. And I think the way that the Ticats sort of mitigate that, especially early on, get a lead. If the Ticats get a lead and – if this game goes similar to the East Final did against Edmonton, I think we see a score similar to the East Final against Edmonton. 
I, I just feel like Winnipeg I, – I guess we should talk about this now. I just feel like Winnipeg's – they're not good at throwing the football, and I think the Ticats are going to make them do that. They were dead last in passing yards this year. They averaged just 212 yards through the air all season, and the Ticats were the number three pass defense. And I know things have changed since Zach Caleros took over, and the Bombers are a more effective team throwing the football. But even in the three games that Caleros has started, and you know, recognizing that's a very small sample size – they're averaging just 232 yards passing through the air. Like, I think we all remember sort of the big plays, the passes to Darvin Adams and Kenny, the King Lawler. But do the Bombers really scare you as as a team throwing the football, even with Caleros back there? Because they, they kind of don't to me. No, I don't think so. You mentioned that, uh, you know, that Zach's been playing lately and he's he's got wins as, you know, the Bombers have got wins with him behind center, but... You're right. the The stats don't really leap off the page. Like, oh my God, this guy is an amazing. He's not throwing for you know 300 plus yards and multiple touchdowns and all that stuff. Not that he has to, but uh, yeah, I think that Zach's a good quarterback and um, they have some weapons there. But it's not overly. Um, I'm not overly threatened by their pass attack either. And the other thing that the Bombers have to deal with that I think is maybe the most important thing in this entire game is. They're going up against the number one scoring defense of 2019. The Ticats allowed the fewest points all season. They allowed 20 points in a game just seven times this year and just three times since Labor Day. And they allowed 30 or more points just twice this year. This is not an easy team to score against. And the Bombers in the two games, again, I understand we can't really take a ton from those two games. Didn't crack the 17-point mark against this defense in either of those games. So... As good as the Ticats offense is and as much as they can score and as much as they can have success with the splash plays and as good as Winnipeg is running the football, at the end of the day, you've got to score points to win. And this defense just doesn't let anyone score almost ever. Yeah, it's 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 nice to watch, isn't it? I mean, uh, for years and years, it seemed that the, you know, the Ticat defense at times was a little bit Swiss cheese like, but uh, we are very stingy this year. Like I said before, I don't think there's a weakness on this whole team, you know, defensively, offensively, I think we're strong at every single position. So it's been, it's been fun to watch this team this year. So I meant to ask this when we finished doing the Ticats offense versus Winnipeg defense. Uh, who, who do you give the advantage to in that one? Do you give it to Hamilton's offense or Winnipeg's defense? I gotta be, I gotta go offense. Um, Tiger Cats just have way too many weapons, you know, in the receiving core, we all know the names, the Killer Bees, uh, Luke Casker is around, Jalen Acklin. Mike Jones is going to make a big play. He's going to make a big play in the Great Cup, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Um, and, you know, that offensive line is tremendous. Dane's amazing. I got to give it to uh, the Ticats offense. We'll be able to run the ball as well, I think, with Terrell Sutton. So the, don't get me wrong, though. The Bombers have a great ball-hawking secondary and a, and a great defense overall. You know, the linebackers with Adam Bakehill and – guys up front are, are tremendous um, but I got to give the advantage to the Tiger Cats yeah I, I'm with you there too I give the advantage to the Tiger Cats oh as well the, the, the thing that stands out to me it, it's kind of a repeat of what I said they are so good at, at chunk pass plays that and Winnipeg is so bad at allowing them that to me what the Tiger Cats do well and what Winnipeg doesn't do well coalesces into kind of a perfect storm for the Tiger Cats offense uh, Tiger Cats D versus Winnipeg's offense where do you go there Oh, I gotta go, Ticats D. I mean, um, they have they have some great players like Andrew Harris. They can run the ball, obviously, um, but 
you know, our guys are just, we're too strong. You know, you, Lawrence, Tuggle, Murray in the, in the linebacking core, you know, about our front four, our secondary is tremendous. Um, one of the best I've seen ever for the Ticats. Um, the, the Winnipeg just doesn't have enough weapons on offense. Um, the Ticats will do a great job against them. I agree with you, Mike. And this might come off as homerish. Where's the weakness on this Ticats defense? You look at the defensive line, you go, okay, Julian Hauser's not really a household name, so maybe he's the weak link. But he's had a very good year. You look at the linebacking core. He's been productive, though. He's been exactly. Productive. That's what I mean. He's been he's yeah. been he's yeah. been really good. He just doesn't have the name value of right. Laurent Wynn and, and Garrett Davis. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he's he's yeah. been really solid this year. You look at the linebacking core and you go, okay, maybe it's Tuggle, but he's really stepped up the last few weeks. So it's hard to kind of say that that he's a weak link. And in all honesty, you look at the secondary and you go, okay, is it Cariel Brooks? Maybe, but that that guy was an all star last year. Like. Again, like I said, it's going to sound homerish, but you look at that entire defense and you show me where the Bombers can focus. Like it, some, You know how sometimes there's – like as great as Richard Leonard has been this year, last year he was a guy that you could pick on because he was he, he struggled last year. He was a guy that you could go at. You're not going at Richard Leonard this year. He's there's a, That's an all-star caliber, and, and he was an East all-star this year as a defensive halfback. There's not a weak link. In this Ticats secondary, in their linebacking core, or on their defensive line, and they the Bombers like to run the ball, but the Ticats have been able to corral, like control the Bombers from doing that. I I don't see how this Bombers offense can have much success against this Ticats defense. No, I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and I think this is a team that, win or lose on Sunday, will look back uh, and look at this roster and be like, damn, like that defense was. Tremendous! Look at those names on that roster and the offense as well. So, yeah, they've been. They, they. I agree with you. There isn't a weak link. You might maybe Toggle or Hauser, but they're they both turned into productive, um, productive players this season. And uh, yeah, I I don't think you can run the ball against. You know, if you want to run the ball and maybe Toggle might be the weak link, but uh, that's not happening. You know, they're going to stop it. And Toggle's been making some big big plays. He's get interceptions late in the season. Um, so he's going to show up, and so is Hauser. Special teams, uh, the, the long-forgotten third aspect of this, I think this, to me, is the most evenly matched evenly matched head-to-head that we have for this game. Like, you look at both kickers, they're both great. They're also punters. I think they're both great at that. The coverage units are great. Both teams have dangerous return men. In the kicking game, I think you give the edge to the Bombers just because, in my opinion, Justin Medlock's the GOAT as far as CFL kickers go. I think yeah. he's the greatest to ever step foot on a CFL field and kick a football. And and that's no disrespect to Liram Hirolahu, who this year has been tremendous. But I, if the game's on the line, I, I trust both of these guys to hit a game-winning field goal with, with the clock ticking zero. But if that's the case in a tie ball game or a two-point ball game and Justin Medlock trots out there, the Bombers are going to win the Grey Cup because he just does not miss. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, you can name a lot of great kickers over the years, like, Hollis Baldiston and uh, Dave Ridgway, and but I don't think they stood up to uh, Justin Medlock's, you know, his ability to kick the long field goals, you know, the strength of his leg, and his just accuracy over the years, his consistency as a kicker has been tremendous. So yeah, if there was a gun to my head and I had to pick one of these kickers, I would go with Medlock. But but you're right, Liram has had a, a tremendous year, and I'm sure if it comes down to a kick and we have the opportunity to make that kick, he will. Put it through the uprights. 
These are also the punters for this team. I don't think there's a ton of differentiation between the two. I think I give the slight edge to Liram on this one. I think he's one of the one of our uh, going into this season. I, I recall us talking about it. One of our concerns was his punting. He wasn't great at it a year ago. I think this year he's turned into a, a, a tremendous punter. He's had a couple. I don't think he's booted one out of bounds. If he has, I've forgotten about it. He had that one mm-hmm. beauty coffin corner one. I believe it was against the Argos. It could have been against – no, maybe it was against the, the Red Blacks late in the season. I just think he's turned into a really solid punter. I think Medlock is a good punter too, but I think I give the slightest of slight edges on, on this battle to, to our guy in Liram. Yeah, yeah, the punting game for sure. Uh, field goals, like uh, – but even Liram, you know, we talked about it last year. He, we're more confident when he's kicking from like 45 plus yeah. than when he's in inside. But so, yeah, both tremendous kickers. I think it's a wash, special teams wise overall. You know, there's they have threats with uh, Grant. I believe is a great uh, kick yeah. returner. We have Frankie Williams. So, uh, I think both of these special teams are are near the top of the league. Uh, in a lot of categories, they are. And you're right with returners. They got Janarian Grant, who's who's pretty explosive. Ticats have. The guy that just won was just named the best special teams player in the league in 2019. So, I mean, I, th- I think you got to give the edge to Frankie Williams in that simply because, I mean, he is considered the best special teams player in the league. But I, I agree that that's, a, that's kind of wash. I think coverage units, which don't get a ton of coverage, pardon the, the double usage of the word there. But I think both of these teams are excellent in that. You got Mike Miller, who was up for most outstanding special teams player from the West and would have been my pick to win it. You got a rookie in uh, Kerfala Exume for for the Blue Bombers, who those two guys kind of lead the way. And then you look at Hamilton, you got guys like Mike Daly, Jay Langa, Connor McGuff, kind of doing the same uh, for the Ticats here. And this is this is one where both these teams, they were one and two in punt return average this year. And the Ticats didn't give up a single punt return touchdown all year. So these are two very, very solid coverage units. And I think because the reason, the biggest reason because of that is coaching. And I think both mm-hmm. of these teams spend a lot of time and put an emphasis on special teams play. You got Jeff Reinbold, our guy here in Hamilton leading the way. And you got the Bombers being coached by a former special teams coordinator, Mike O'Shea. So, I mean, it's really hard to sort of, you're, you're splitting hairs when you're talking about these two special teams units, because I think in every sort of scenario, it's, it's 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 almost a wash. Yeah, I'd have to agree. The, the you know they they're both tremendous uh, you know coverage units, all that stuff for special teams. Uh, I don't think there's much more to say about it, so I'm kind of just rambling on here. So uh, then you know what? We'll it's it's time for on. predictions. All right, giddy up. So I think everyone kind of knows where we're both going to go here, but I do have a method to my madness, and. We talked about this on the show on Monday, and the thing I keep coming back to is I look back on that September matchup in Winnipeg that Ticats won by 20, and the big change between that game and this game is the insertion of Zach Caleros into the starting lineup for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I just keep asking myself, is Zach Caleros worth an additional 21 points for Winnipeg? And every time I ask myself that, I come back with the same answer, and it's no. Uh, I don't think that Caleros is enough to close that type of gap. I don't think that the Ticats are any worse going into the Grey Cup on Sunday than they were back in September. In fact, they might even be better with Terrell Sutton in there. I know Terrell Sutton was in the game in Winnipeg. That's where he coined the uh, Oski Wee Wee MF or phrase that we all know and love that are adorning t-shirts around the city of Hamilton as we speak. 
they get Luke Tasker back. That's a big change for the Ticats. That opens up their offense a little bit more. And I just don't think that the Ticats, I, I it just, again, people are going to call us homers, but you look at this from top to bottom. There's a reason this team went 15 and three. So I think you and I are sitting here recording the next show, whether it be Monday or Tuesday or whenever next week. And I think we're talking about the Ticats ending a 20 year championship drought. I think the Ticats win this game 34 to 18. And I don't think the game is even particularly that close as the score would indicate. I think this game is probably mostly sealed away by the end of the third quarter. And I think we're hooting and hollering on the show next week, Mike. I, I like that prediction quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have to uh, go with you and pick the Hamilton Tiger Cats to win this one. Um, you were bang on last week with your 20-point prediction, so let's see if you can get it bang on again with <laughs> I this hope one. I'm wrong. I hope they win by 50. But I'm yeah, that would here. be nice. That would be nice. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna go again. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit closer. Um, you're right. I don't think Zach is going to make up those 21 points, but I think he could maybe make up 10 to 14 so I'm going to say final score is 28 to uh, 18. The Ticats win by 10. Um, it's still a pretty large margin of victory for a Grey Cup game, but uh, I think it'll be close. And then the Ticats will kind of pull away in the fourth quarter with that explosive off- offense and win by win by 10. And the yeah. Grey Cup champions once again. That would be that would be so sweet. It's it's, it's just like like they beat them by 20 you know, two months ago. And I just, I look at the roster and it's like, can the Bombers hold them to under 30? I don't know. Like the Bombers defense is pretty good, but they, like they walk through them like a hot knife through butter. And then it's just, the Ticats don't allow teams to score. So why am I going to think that in this game, they're going to give up 20 plus points? You know what I mean? Like it just, the Bombers, the Bombers, I think have to score 30 points to win this game. And do I think the Bombers can score 30 points in this Ticats offense? The answer is no. So if I don't think they can score 30 because I think they, they're going to have to at least score that, I don't think there's really any other way to go. Then, uh, and I, I know some people are saying, oh, look what the Bombers did against Calgary and, and look what they did against Saskatchewan. I mean, the numbers tell the tale. Hamilton's offense was better than both those teams. So they weren't able to stop them in Week 7. They weren't able to stop them in Week 16. And I don't see why they'll be able to stop them in the Grey Cup. No, I, I see it the same way. And uh... – you know, like everyone knows, anything can happen. It's just a one-game final. Um, but, you know, it should go the Tiger Guts way. They're, they're a favorite for a reason. I think they're a plus three. Um, I think they should be a little bit more than that. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's going to be 1999 all over again in uh, 2019. It's uh, It's been a long time. I know the Bombers have had... A little bit longer, but damn it, it's it's our turn. I mean, the Bombers are going to win the Grey Cup next year. I think I said this okay. on the show on Monday. It's preordained. They won right. the first ever game at the New Mosaic Stadium in Saskatchewan. They won the first ever playoff game. They won the first ever West Final. They're going to win the first Grey Cup there. So they're winning it next year. So the Ticats can win it this year. Then the Ticats can go back as defending champs. No, not so that. The Ticats are winning again next year. Ticats are going on a, on a decade-long Grey Cup championship victory run. Here. Dynasty. We're talking dynasty now. We're talking dynasty. No, yeah, I mean, one thing we're talking dynasty. <laughs> MVP of the game, who you got? Um, I could go the obvious guy in Brandon Banks, but I'm going to go with his um, his partner, his Killer B tag team partner. Braylon Addison gets uh, – he's just a tremendous player. He, you know, 
what kind of player he is, and I think he's going to show that on Sunday and get that MLP or MVP. Uh, I'm going with Banks. There, there's no reason right. not to think. I think Brandon Banks is so focused on this. I, I don't know if you've been watching any of the any of the media appearances of him, but he just seems like a determined man. He's not going to let this opportunity slip away from him. I think he's going to have the game of his life and might have the best game a receiver has ever had in a Grey Cup. I think he'll be undeniably the most valuable player. Top Canadian for the game, Mike. You going with Mike Jones? I got to go with Mike Jones. I mean, I picked him to be the top Canadian <laughs> in, the, in the gosh darn league <laughs> this year, and that didn't turn out too well. I've been saying that he's going to make a big play in the playoffs. He hasn't done it yet. Um, yeah, I got to go with uh, Mikey Boy. This was tough for me because – I mean, the obvious answer, win or lose, is Andrew Harris. You know what I mean? Like, I know Andy Fantuz won a most valuable Canadian in a Grey Cup in a, in a game the Ticats lost. But I'm going to go a little off the radar because I went with such an easy pick for MVP. Most valuable Canadian? I'm going Tunde Adelike. I think he has a couple of picks, maybe a sack. And I think I think he solidifies himself as the top Canadian safety in the CFL. He's, he's a guy who – he was an all-star this year. He's had a tremendous season. He's already one of the best safeties in the CFL. But I think on the biggest stage, in a stage he's played in, he is not unfamiliar. This is his third straight strip, ugh, third straight trip to the Grey Cup after the last two years in Calgary. So he is not unfamiliar with these types of games. I think getting hit the most playing time he's seen in a Grey Cup, I think he balls out, and I think he gets the uh, the nod as the top Canadian for uh, for the Grey Cup this year. I like that, and uh, you know, Adelke has so much speed that I could see him getting a sack. Maybe send him on on a safety blitz. Um, I remember seeing a play where Lawrence dropped back into safety when he came on the blitz. So maybe we see that again and he gets in there. Um, He's been, you know, we, we all like Mike Daly, but Adele K has been tremendous this year. Yeah. It's, it's been obvious as to why he, he won the starting job in training camp. It's uh, again, like you said, we love Mike Daly, no disrespect to him at all. Uh, He's a, he's a great player, but probably could start on a couple of teams in this league, but uh, I don't know. You can't, you can't deny how good Tunde has been for the Ticats this year. All right, Mike, that's it, man. That's, that's a wrap. Uh, next time we talk, it's the, the season will be over and either we're in full boo-boo face mode and, and eating a ton of crow, or we are as excited as we have ever been on a podcast before talking about the Ticats breaking the championship drought. Uh, how do you feel going into Sunday? I feel pretty confident. You know, there's always that little bit of worry because we're Ticat fans, but uh, this is the best team that we've had maybe ever that we've ever seen uh, since we've been alive. So uh, if we have a chance to do it, this is it right right now. Uh, I think this is our time. I think so too, man. I, th- I think at the beginning of the year, uh, well, I know you picked the Ticats to win the Grey Cup. I picked them to get there. I-, I think I think a lot of people saw this matchup. I mean, I know a lot of people saw it. I think, I, think I looked it up. I think five of the seven predictors on three down picked Winnipeg Hamilton to make the Grey Cup. I don't think anyone would have predicted that this is the route either of these teams would have taken. I don't think anyone, well, I know you wouldn't have thought they'd go 15 and three because you have some, uh, some calves there that are nice and smooth because of it. Uh, even I, the most optimistic of, I, I thought this team would be a, a, a really good football team this year. And I even thought their, their, their top end was 12 wins. I, I didn't think that this team would be as good as they are. And maybe this is setting us up for heartbreak, but I'm choosing to look at it in the positive this is the first time probably in our lives that we can legitimately sit here and say that the team that we are talking about, the team that we cheer for, the team that we've been cheering for our entire lives is head and shoulders the best team in the CFL this year. And we all know that that doesn't, nor- doesn't always end in a championship. 
you can talk to any number of, you're in Calgary right now, talk to any number of Stampeders fans about 2016 and 2017. They're well aware that leading the league in wins and being head and shoulders above everyone else doesn't necessarily lead you to a championship. But I will leave you with this, Mike. This is a stat that I found out from the CFL. There have been, in the entire history of the Grey Cup, there's been one 15-win team, 15 or more win team, that didn't win the Grey Cup when they were in it. And that was the 1995 Calgary Stampeders. And they lost to another 15-win team in the Baltimore Stallions. So you win 15 games, it pretty much is a, a solidifies you as winning the championship. We'll find out Sunday if the Ticats can, uh, can get it done. And uh, I look forward to you and I sitting down and discussing everything, all the other stuff you did at Grey Cup. And hopefully, potentially, maybe, I think, Ticats championship it's uh this has been the best year of the pod man because of how good the Ticats have been and I, I i hope that this this we can keep these good vibes rolling for at least one more week yeah i hope so too i hope we can uh, go into next season as champions and we can start talking about this uh this uh, repeat of the championship and you know it's been a long time but maybe we kick in that door get that first great cup in 20 years and then they just keep rolling in year after year that's what i'm hoping that's what we're all hoping for in Ticats Nation. That's what I think 90% of the people listening to our show are hoping for. And that was Podski Wee for this week, the Grey Cup Preview Edition. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.